Okay, as you're being seated, I invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 20. If you've got a Bible on your phone, that'll work. You can find John chapter 20. Um, If you don't have any of those things with you, paper Bible, phone Bible, uh, the words will be up on the screen. We'll read in just a moment. I want to welcome you once again and uh, especially welcome um, those of you participating online today. Um, Either because of a a geography reason and you just can't be here or if you're just not feeling well today and how strange that must be to have to celebrate Easter at home, but we remember you, we love you. Glad you can join um, in this way. Um, We're taking a break from our study in the Gospel of Luke learning about the kingdom of God to look at a resurrection passage today from John 20. Of course we are. And uh, we'll read in just a minute. I I told someone the other day that um, I'm a a big picture person. When I open the Bible and try to make sense of what I find there, um, I'm really not satisfied until I can see how it fits into the, the big picture of what God is doing in in history. If God is sovereign over all of creation, and he is, then there must be some kind of a big picture plan. And so where does what I'm reading fit into that big picture plan? And today we're gonna look at the resurrection of Jesus uh, from 30,000 feet and see where it fits in to God's plan uh, for all of history. Well, what's the benefit of seeing the big picture? One benefit is that it allows us to at least make a start at answering some really difficult questions about God. Questions um, that you hear all the time and questions that are probably rolling around in your head as well. Um, Questions like this. Where was God when those children and teachers were killed in Nashville last month? Where was God on 9-11? Where is God when those tsunamis hit Asia and thousands of people die and thousands of children? Where is God when we hear about that horrific kidnapping and and murder. Like if he's all-powerful and if he is good, which is what we claim as Christians, which is what the Bible puts forward, an all-powerful God and an all-loving God, the very essence of good, then why doesn't he stop these things? What is he doing? Like what's his plan? a difficult set of questions and um, not just not just for people that don't believe in God but even for people that do believe the Bible and seeing the big picture this is what I'm saying seeing the big picture and especially how the resurrection fits into the big picture is at least going to help us make a start in answering those difficult questions it's definitely going to get us headed in the right direction The resurrection plays a crucial role in God's plan. So we're stepping back to look at the big picture. Our method or our approach is going to be to compare what we see in John 20, this little section about the resurrection that we're going to read. 
we're going to compare what we see in John 20 to what we see at the very beginning of the Bible, first three chapters of Genesis. So we're going to look at those two sections of Scripture side by side with the goal of saying, okay, what is God's plan for the world, especially when there's all this evil? Like, what is he doing? So we're really looking into God's character and into his plan today, okay? So we've got the text set, John 20. We're going to be uh, starting in verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 23, okay? If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll say a few things about it. John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Okay, just brief parenthetical here. Jesus has died. Jesus was buried. Jesus has risen. If we read before this, we would see all these things happening in the end of John 19, the beginning of John 20. Jesus is risen. Verse 11, Mary is is weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at his head and one at his feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Father, we thank you for this account. Um, I I pray for faithful words worthy of this wonderful risen Savior, Jesus. I pray for an unusual interest in this Jesus for people uh, who may be listening who have set Jesus to the side. I pray for a renewed interest and a curiosity today that questions that haven't been asked before would begin to be asked and that beauty and truth 
would be found in, in Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen. All right. Please be seated. All right. Well, what is God doing in the resurrection of Jesus? Well, one thing that we notice is that there's definitely a creation vibe in this account. This account that we just read. That is to say, there are many points of correspondence between this John 20 resurrection account and the very first chapters of the whole Bible, the account of original creation, Genesis 1 through 3. Let's notice a few of them, okay? Points of correspondence between John 20 and Genesis 1 through 3. First of all, think about the setting in John 20. We're going to think about the location, we're going to think about the people involved, we're going to think about the time it's happening, we're going to think about just the setting that we're observing here. The location is a garden, right? If you look back at chapter 19, the very end, verse 41, John 19, 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've heard of the Garden of Eden. It's the first dwelling place for humanity. Adam and Eve lived in a garden. They encountered God in that garden. They were expelled from that garden. Well, here in John 20, we're back in a garden. We also notice the day. We read, uh, if we read verse 1 of chapter 20, we didn't start the reading that early, but if we go back to verse 1, we see that it's the first day of the week. And then again in verse 19, which we did read, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. You know that original creation took place over a series of days, beginning with the first day. If there's going to be a a parallel experience for humanity, a new experience of creation, it makes sense for it to begin on the first day. Recall back in Genesis 1 that when that first day is described, we're told about something that happened in the morning. Talk about something that happened in, in the evening. There was morning and there is evening, the first day. Here in John 20, we're told about something that happens in the morning. We're told about something that happens in the evening at verse 19. All of this is happening on the first day. And you know that John, the gospel writer John, has had original creation on his mind since the beginning of his writing. He starts his gospel. He starts the book of John. In the beginning was the word. It's perfect parallel to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And this creation theme has been present all the way through the gospel at the beginning and at the end. So we notice a similar location. We notice the first day. We notice also the, the participants here in the account that we read. The persons involved. We have this lone woman, this Mary This lone woman in the garden, she's interacting with someone else, someone of greater power. 
In Genesis 3, that someone else is Satan in the form of a serpent. In John 20, that someone else is Jesus. No no man is present here. There is the God-man, Jesus, but there's no, there's no male alongside of Mary. It's just, it's just her and this someone else. Just the woman in the garden. In other words, we're back now in the setting where everything fell apart. Everything fell apart the last time that woman was alone in the garden, interacting with this more powerful someone else. Eve was deceived by the serpent. She believed a lie about God. She took the fruit and she ate. She gave some to the man. He took and ate. The result of all that is that our entire race was plunged into sin and death. Everything evil and everything not good in our world traces its origin back to that moment, to that decision when our race decided that it would be better to live apart from God, to live independent of God. All sickness and disease and theft and murder and lying and shame, deception, everything we see from ourselves and humanity, it all exploded from this one decision made by Adam and Eve to live apart from God. All of the fallenness around us, every, all of the fallenness that we see in ourselves and around us is our fault. We chose it. We chose to live apart from God in this early moment in our history. And the incredible thing is that now we have the audacity to blame it on God. We blame God for the evil that we see around ourselves and in ourselves. We blame God for its presence. We blame God for not stopping it. We humans impugn his character because of the presence of evil. We blame him and not ourselves. As a matter of fact, if you remember the Genesis account, that's the very first thing that happens after the fall. Man blames God for the presence of evil. Adam looks at God after the fall and says, God says, what's going on? Adam says, this woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. God's looking at him and he turns it right back around to God as if, hey, if you hadn't given this woman to be with me, remember she wasn't here originally, but then you gave her to me. If she hadn't been with me, then everything would have been fine. But (laughs) 
God is not to blame. We, we, chose, we chose life apart from him, and we have suffered the horrible consequences. You have personally suffered the horrible consequences. Every, every time we lose a loved one, death. And so we ask for our race, is there any way out of this abyss that we're in? Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. They were sent away from Eden. They were sent outside. Evil and death have reigned since that time. Is there any hope? Is there any hope that things could be good again? Well, in John 20, we're back in a garden. A woman is there and God is there. God, the second person. That's a really hopeful start. Is something new happening? Something restorative? Is there such a thing as forgiveness and grace? Could there be, could there be a path back to God? after rejecting him. Well, we've talked about the setting. Let's notice the words. Let's notice what's actually said here. Notice that Jesus addresses her first as woman. She is a representative of her kind. Before she's Mary. She is woman. Notice that the words that Jesus speaks to her are words of comfort. Woman, why are you weeping? The last time God spoke to woman in the garden, the words were not words of comfort. They were words of curse. Sin brought with it a curse. God spoke that curse over creation, over woman, over man. Christ has broken the curse by his perfect life, by his death, by being raised to life. The curse that lay upon the world. Sin and the result of sin, death, that's the curse. Jesus has broken it because he's defeated death. And the result is, he may now speak words of comfort to the woman. Words of curse are replaced with words of comfort. We think about Isaiah 40. Remember the the famous way that Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people. Says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We're noticing that words from God, from the God-man, Jesus, are words in the garden of comfort and not curse. That's a change. That's different. That's new. That's a, a reversal. There's also a reversal in the words of the woman. We see in verse 18 that the woman carries the truth to the men. 
to the disciples. Just as in original creation, the woman initiated the spread of the lie about God. Now in John 20, the woman is the first to carry the truth about God to man and to the rest of humanity. Now the truth begins to spread. I have seen the Lord, Mary went and announced. The woman was the first announcer of resurrection truth. I think that's beautiful. I think that's appropriate. I'm so glad that God worked that way. Woman was the first to be cursed, but also the first to be comforted. Woman was first to spread the lie, but also the first to spread the truth. Eve's guilt and her weeping find its answer and its restoration in the comfort and joy of Mary Magdalene. Fallen humanity is restored in this second garden. At the dawn of the first day, the woman is comforted. Something new has begun. The last point of comparison, remember, we're just holding John 20 in the first three chapters of Genesis side by side. Okay, from your vantage point, it's Genesis over here, right? And John 20 over here, moving chronologically this way. So we've talked about the setting. We've talked about the words. The last point of comparison that we want to draw out is the blessing that we see here. So now we're going to be into the second part of the passage where Jesus appears to the disciples. Talk about the blessing if, to spell it out a little bit further, it's actually the idea of blessing, commission, and gift. All three of those, blessing, commission, and gift. That's what we see God do for humanity in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we see blessing, commission, and gift. God bestows on humanity blessing, commission, and gift. That's verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them. And God said to them, here's the commission. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's the commission. Be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them. That's the blessing. There's the commission. Be fruitful and multiply. And then there's a gift right after that. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, it's on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. So God bestows on humanity, Genesis 1, blessing, commission, and gift. And that's exactly what we see when we come to John 20. And Jesus appears to his disciples. We see blessing, commission, and gift. Blessing, peace be with you. Where's the commission? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Go. Where's the gift? Receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the gift to make it happen, to make the commission work, to empower the commission. Receive the Holy Spirit. See, the first commission was a physical commission. That came with a physical gift. Be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Here's a gift. Here's food. Go. 
second commission here in John is a spiritual commission that comes with a spiritual gift. Go multiply spiritually. Go make disciples. Here's a spiritual gift to empower that mission. Receive the Holy Spirit. What we're seeing is a a recommissioning of humanity. Please don't let anyone tell you that if you're not marrying and having children, that you're somehow failing God. It's not true. God's new commission is spiritual, not physical. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, go get married and have lots of children. That's not the great, that's not the great commission. The great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a spiritual commission with a spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit, spiritual reproduction. Multiplying disciples of Jesus, that's, that's the commission. Now, we've done a lot of work to get to this point, pulled a, a lot of threads together, lots of lines of connection between the old and the new. We've worked really hard to see the big picture of what's happening in the resurrection. We're back in a garden. Humanity is comforted, not cursed. Humanity is recommissioned. Let's, let's wrap up. Three, three conclusions that we can draw from the work that we've put in in the last few minutes. Three conclusions that we can draw with, with an eye toward making a start. Remember that question that we asked at the beginning. We're trying to make a start at answering the question, what is God up to, especially regarding the presence of evil in this world? Hopefully this will help. Three conclusions from this work that we've done. Conclusion number one, God is making all things new. God is making all things new. All of creation is being renewed. That is his plan. It began at the resurrection of Jesus. Up until the resurrection of Jesus, death had a 100% success rate. Even those who Jesus raised from the dead would, would die again. But when Jesus was raised, never to die again, everything changed. The curse was broken. It was the start of something new. Colossians 1.18 says this of Jesus. He is the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. God is making all things new, restoring creation, and it has begun. There was a starting point. Just as there was a starting point to the fall of humanity, Adam and Eve and the fruit in the garden, there's a definite starting point for the restoration of all things, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the garden on the first day of the week. So, first conclusion, God is making all things new. It's begun. That's the first thing I would say to someone who comes at me 
over coffee with that question, why all this evil? Why doesn't, stop? Why doesn't it stop? Why doesn't God step in and, and put an end to it? The first thing I would say is God is making all things new. After acknowledging the pain and the difficulty and the appropriateness of the question, God is making all things new. Now, the very important second conclusion, and this is where it gets, this is where it gets difficult for us, the second creation by God is a process. He is making all things new. But just like original creation, this new creation is also a process. It's happening over time. You know, when God originally created the world, we think back to Genesis 1 and how it talks about the things God did on different days. Why did he do it over different days? Why not just do it instantaneously? And there it is. He could have. I don't know why he didn't do it that way. But original creation worked itself out over a period of time. It's the way God chose to do it for his own glory. This new creation that God is doing, same thing. Why? I don't know but it must be for his own glory. And I I can't fail to stop and just think, though, that I'm really glad he is doing it this way, as painful as it is to see the, the evil and the tragedy. If God did it instantaneously, if Jesus rose from the tomb and everything was new right away, I wouldn't be here. And neither would you. I mean, one thing we have to say is that God choosing to do it this way, create things the second time as a process and not instantaneous, at least we get to see it. And have life and know God. And as hard as, it, as hard as it is to lose people we love, at least they are here too and they will rise again, never to die. I don't know why God's doing it as a process. But God is consistent. This is the way he did it originally. Number two, it's begun. It it has begun. We can say that for sure. How much worse would it be if we saw no sign that the new creation had begun? But it has begun in the resurrection of Jesus. And number three, it will come to consummation. It will come to consummation with rest. just as original creation consummated in that seventh day of rest. A Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. Hebrews 4. There is an eternal, never-ending rest ahead for God and his people. And that rest will be living in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of peace and shalom, where all of creation lives as it was always intended to live, in, in harmony, no death, no curse, no corruption. In the end, there will be rest from all of these things that lie so heavy upon the world and upon us, though it may not come as quickly as we would like it to come.
says uh, this period we live now is a period of longing and it's a period of lamenting and it's a period of praying thy kingdom come all right third conclusion and we're going to be done okay very last thing this is where you come in so conclusion number one God is making all things new conclusion number two God's making all things new, and it's a process. It's happening over time. Conclusion number three, what's your role in this new creation? Like, where do you come into the story, okay? Listen, understand, the message of the Bible is not live in the new creation. It's not participate by living in the new creation. No, the message is become a new creation, as in you, yourself, Become a new creation in Christ Jesus by placing your trust in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You yourself may become a new creation. Be forgiven. doesn't matter what your past is. doesn't matter what your baggage is. doesn't matter what you've done and how many times you've done it. The message of the Bible, every Easter Sunday, repeated over and over, every Sunday, all across the globe, become a new creation. No one has sinned themselves so far from God that they may not become a new creation in Christ Jesus. How do I do that? By believing that Jesus is the Son of God, fully divine and fully human, together, never been anyone like him. that when he died on a cross like the one that's behind me, that death was significant because it paid the price for your sin against God. And God was satisfied with that death. Jesus bore all the punishment for you. And when you, when you look to Jesus and repent and say, I have been a sinner, I accept, I receive that sacrifice in my place, that all of your sins are forgiven, past, get this, and future that grace and forgiveness cover it all. And believe that he rose in his very body on the third day, never to die again. And that all who believe in him are forgiven, no longer under the curse of God, but under his blessing, comforted in his word to you is peace be with you. The Bible's word to you is not wait for the new creation, but become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with his disciples, tell the good news. I'm so thankful that you came to Easter worship. We haven't answered all the questions. In fact, we may have created more questions for you than we've supplied answers for. There, there really aren't any easy answers when it comes to pain and suffering and the presence of evil. There aren't any easy answers, but there are true answers. There is an empty tomb. God's great answer, God's guarantee, it has begun. I am making all things new. Amen. Father, we wait with hopeful expectation. This life is hard. 
but we wait with hopeful expectation with all of creation for this seventh day, the day that your work is complete and all things are new. Let your peace be upon us as we wait and as we work. We thank you that we have the sign that your work has begun. Christ is raised, the tomb is empty, the curse is broken. In the end, all tombs will be empty. Christ is the first, preeminent in all things. Amen.